My name is Philippa Davis, founder and CEO of Our Sam Pregnancy and Baby Loss Charity, and I'd like to welcome you to the Our Sam Talking Out Loud podcast series. Now, this month, I've returned with some more incredible professionals to discuss the really important but all too often forgotten subject of supporting healthcare professionals to support parents and families in partnership with Alex Mancini, national lead nurse for neonatal palliative care, leading the National Neonatal Palliative Care Project. And Alex is also heavily involved with the True Colours Trust, who work to improve access to palliative care for babies, children and young people in the UK. I know that when we went through losing Sam and our other babies, I had an expectation that those I came into contact with within healthcare settings would automatically be able to professionally support me. I took it for granted that they would be trained and supported to do this the way it needed to be done. I didn't have the strength or the headspace to stop and think about the support they actually had in place to enable them to support me. It was simply a subconscious assumption that they'd be able to provide that support, the support that I needed at the worst times of my life. Now, my experiences varied considerably from incredible support to no support or very poor support. But I was struggling too much with my own grief for a long time to think about why the support that I received was of a certain standard. I was just extremely grateful for good support and really saddened and sometimes angry when I received poor support. It's only really since I set up our Sam that I've thought about this and discovered that the focus on supporting healthcare professionals to enable good support for bereaved parents like me following pregnancy or baby loss is still really in its infancy. And the support to healthcare professionals who are coming into contact with bereaved parents and families, like the support available to families themselves, can be very much a lottery. Now, to open this conversation, I'm going to be joined by two incredible professionals who I've been lucky enough to spend time with and work with, who've helped me better understand the current picture of support within maternity and neonatal units for healthcare professionals, and the importance of this to enable a high standard of support for bereaved parents like me, Alex Mancini and Jane Scott. So firstly, I'd like to welcome Alex, who we've partnered with to cover this subject. Alex, it's really lovely and a real honour to be able to do this with you. So thank you very much. I think firstly, for everyone listening, it would be great to be able to hear about you, the role you do now and what led you to do that, if that's okay. Thanks so much, Philippa. And I feel very privileged that you asked me to be part of such an important um, podcast in being able to share our experiences and and what the future might look like. So firstly, I'm a neonatal nurse. Um, I've been working in neonatal care for over 30 years. And really, my interest in supporting staff on neonatal units started many, many years ago when I was a junior nurse. And I felt the moment that I walked on the neonatal unit, I felt oh my goodness, this is going to be really, really difficult. Where do I get my help from? Who's going to look after me so that I can give the very best care that I can possibly give to the families who need it at the worst time in their lives? 
And so that very much led me to, we're, we're talking about 30 years ago, so neonatal care was still in its infancy, let's say, and there were many areas that we could focus on. So I did take myself off to some study days um, because for me, support and feeling confident is when I've got all the information. If I've got the information that's available, then I personally feel confident and I think I might be able to help somebody with that information. So going on these training days really helped me to feel a little bit more confident as a junior nurse to be able to care for families. So really, that's where it started from. But I remember the family that were absolutely instrumental in spearheading this work that I've been doing is we're taking you back to 22 years ago and a little baby called Bowen. And in fact, the textbook that we published a couple of years ago is dedicated to Bowen and his family because they taught me so much just very much from how care could look different um, just by listening to parents and what was important for them. And that made my job really easy, if that makes sense. But it was very much Bowen and his mum, Neve, and um, her partner, Dan, who really helped me really concrete and cement um, the thoughts around this support that was needed for the team. Fantastic. I mean, Alex, you have such an incredible amount of experience and such an obvious passion for everything you've done and continue to do, which is fantastic. I'd really like to hear more about the National Neonatal Palliative Care Project, if that's okay. What are the ultimate aims for this project? What would you really like to achieve with it? So the ultimate aims for the project, and the project's been going now for seven years, but It's very much around trying to ensure that all families, wherever wherever their baby is admitted to whichever neonatal unit, that every single family will get the most up-to-date information to enable choices for care for their baby and their family. But alongside that, and very much linked to that, is supporting the healthcare professionals in communication, in having the right information and sharing that information at the earliest opportunity. So it's very much twofold. It's the equity for families, whichever unit you go to, it doesn't depend on who's working or if it's their area of interest, but very much that everybody will be able to share information with families so they can have choices in the care that their babies receive and have the most up-to-date information. So that really is the the, the two key aims of the project. And there's lots of work, obviously, that will go on in the background to enable that to happen. Brilliant. Thank you. I mean, that that is incredible. And I I know we're going to be talking more about your work with the project and what's being achieved. But coming on to the issue of supporting healthcare professionals to support parents and families, why are we talking about this? I mean, as I said in my introduction, when I was going through loss and grief myself, I'd made this automatic assumption that those I came into contact with within health services would, without doubt, through their training, professional development, and just as a matter of procedure, have all the resources they needed professionally to provide support. And the personal support they'd obviously need as well, especially when loss comes into your professional role to enable you to cope. 
and do the job to the best standard, as well as the time, which is critical, required to fulfil this role effectively for everyone concerned. So when my support was poor, I suppose in my emotional state, I blamed individuals, assuming that they already had everything else. From a neonatal perspective, what is the honest picture for professionals at the moment in terms of being enabled and empowered, as well as trained to be able to support parents and families affected like me and other families, you know, with with living babies too? Okay, so Philip, I think that's, you know, a really, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really difficult situation. It's a, a really challenging situation for everybody involved. And whilst you say that when you were going through the loss and grief yourself, making that assumption that everybody would be really well-trained, would really know how to help you um, where, whatever support you required. And I think as a starting point is, what does support look like? It looks very different for everyone. Everybody needs something different at a different time. So that already creates a situation that can be really difficult to judge. Um, but again, you know, support might be sitting next to you in silence. Support might be asking you, how can I help you right now? What can I do to help you at this devastating time in your life? Now, parents may say, or somebody that you're caring for might say, I just don't know. But it's about having that confidence to be able to create that space that silence is okay, but also when somebody needs information, whatever that information might look like, it might be a support agency, but not everybody can pick up the phone. So it might be access to online or or virtual forum where where there are support agencies that can provide that care. So as a healthcare professional, we need to know all that information and being able to signpost. Now, I know that's an enormous part of the work that our SAM baby loss do and is vitally important because we don't all know how to signpost and we don't all have the information in signposting appropriately. But if we're thinking of that situation where we're trying to support an individual parent Um, or the whole family, is when you're a neonatal nurse, you also have other compounding factors. You might be also caring for um, one or two other babies and their families. You might also be incredibly short-staffed on that shift. Um, We know there's a 25% vacancy rate in the neonatal nursing population. We know that there are competing factors on a neonatal unit We can't just say we're full and close the door. Babies will still be born and still need our care. So we're already in a really highly charged environment whilst we're also trying to have that space and that time and that privacy to spend time with the parent um, and the family because there may also be siblings involved that they may actually be there on the unit at the time. So we're actually asking our healthcare professionals and our teams to almost be superhuman in being able to know what families want when every family needs something different, being able to have all that information. And we can't expect that. If you don't know, you're going to have to say and be honest, I don't know, but I'm going to go and find out for you. I will be able to find out some appropriate information for you to be able to share. 
So I think the honest picture for professionals at the moment is we have an aging workforce. We have an absolutely exhausted workforce, not only from the pandemic, but from working um, on neonatal units where there is so much being asked of you of um, constant quality improvement programs. Um, there's initiatives, national initiatives such as Baby Friendly. There's family integrated care that we're trying to implement in every neonatal unit. So, and these are just some of the elements of the national initiatives, which will ultimately improve care and make it really high quality. But we also have to have a balance of caring and nurturing our workforce. Yeah, absolutely. It's these layers that you don't think about. And as I say, you know, as a patient coming in or as a, as a mum coming in or whatever it is you're going through as a family, um, whoever you are, you, you kind of, you make these assumptions, but it's only once you start to dig down that you, you think about the layers that are going on and the complexity of it. I know when we first talked about doing this podcast, we were both absolutely adamant that we didn't want it to be negative or a conversation that just berated policy and procedures, management. You're quite the opposite to that. We wanted it to be constructive. And that's really important, isn't it? Because no system is perfect. But why is it so important to raise this right now as an area that needs more positive development? I think, Philippa, that's a really important question. Why now? Why, why are we thinking about this now? And it does feel like it's been a cumulative effect over a period of time. Um, I did just talk about the increasing workloads that we're asking of our teams, the increasing complexity and acuity that we're asking of our teams. Um, and we also are, we seem to have almost forgotten that we've just come out of a pandemic. Um, and we're still feeling the impact in healthcare in one way or another. But again, you know, we have to think of the personal impact on the healthcare professionals and their teams as well. We come to work with our own personal lives in our minds. We might have already had a really difficult time at home, uh, circumnavigating family issues, other issues, ill health. There could be a myriad of things. And so by the time that a healthcare professional is um, caring for a parent, there are all these other, as you say, layers. Um, and they might have just worked three or four long days in a row or just come off night shifts and not had adequate time off in between for a variety of reasons. It might have been their choice because they might be working extra shifts because of financial worry, or it might be uh, working uh, additional shifts um, to benefit the unit. But I think it's really important now that we think about um, the, that this is an area that needs real positive development, but it needs to be um, an absolute essential part um, of, of the healthcare professional's life. And there are a few reasons for this. One of it at the moment is that I, I really believe that perinatal and neonatal care are taking centre stage from an element of research, the developments, the technological developments that are happening, really fantastic positive developments in improving care um, throughout the whole neonatal system. But there is also a lot of media interest. Now, we might have 
Um, I know that this is we're not going to talk in depth about um, this, but really when I talk about media interest, there might be a story in the newspapers. Um, we have a very high profile reports such as the Ockenden report. We know that getting it right first time, the GERFT report has just um, been reviewing the majority of neonatal units. Again, all looking at improving care. And we've had the National Child Mortality Database um, also uh, report also published in July. So there are some, I, I haven't named all the reports that are around, but there are a lot of national uh, reporting systems that are really highlighting um, the, the importance um, of supporting staff. And when I think a little bit about, as I said before, I've been in neonatal care over 30 years. In my day, we didn't have the internet. We didn't even have mobile phones. So you actually went into work and you would be caring for a baby and their family. And that's it. I wouldn't be reading about it in the newspapers. I wouldn't be hearing um, about situations happening in another area. Um, I wouldn't see it on the newspapers. Um, sorry, on the news on, on the news uh, uh, at 10 or, you know, it's not in your face. Whereas now you can access anything at any time and see it when you're just on your mobile phone. It might be on Facebook. Um, it might be through a friend. So again, there's some real positives about the developments about social media and moving things forward, particularly around networking. But it's absolutely everywhere. And as you know, a couple of uh, moments ago when we just mentioned we didn't want to have a negative, really talk about the negative aspects but there are so many different facets that you know are coming at a healthcare professional from from all different um, areas. So I think there's a, a lot to take on board. And if somebody reads a negative story and you think that's not quite true, it can really have an Im impact on you of thinking that somebody's providing poor care uh, in in some in some other area. Absolutely. Now. I know that you've gathered some fantastic professionals to talk on this podcast episode. Would you like to mention them now, why you've chosen them and, and what you'd like to achieve through this conversation? And I think, uh, Philippa, I think that's a great question. When you know I, I looked at that, I thought that was great. Why did I choose them? And just because I've chosen these people to be part of the podcast, it doesn't mean that I don't also value and respect all the other colleagues that I also work with. But these were some different perspectives that I thought were really important to be included. So if I think about Bob and Tracy from Fort Lewis, that's very much that over the last few years, our paths have crossed uh, regularly from many different angles. And I know that their drivers, grandparents, and their perspective is absolutely vital um, into understanding why the healthcare professionals that are caring for families need additional support. And anytime that we think about, we have lots of discussions with Bob and Tracy from many different areas, um, and you might say, suggest something, and Bob and Tracy both say, no problem. We'll go and sort it. We'll look into it. We'll sort it for you. Um, and certainly it's their absolute trust, their respect for our profession across the nursing midwifery and medical and obviously allied healthcare professionals as well. They absolutely respect 
um, the healthcare teams. And that feels wonderful. It feels wonderful to have someone who's got your back and just wants to help in any way that they can. So I thought Bob and Tracy would bring a slightly different perspective, of course, from a parent who has um, has experienced the death of a baby. And of course, um, their grandson, Lewis, has absolutely been the driver in so much of what they do. In fact, everything that they do. So I thought it was really important to have the family's perspective. So that's why I chose them. But that doesn't mean to say I don't also respect everybody else that I work with very closely with. Um, Jane Scott, um, Jane and I have known each other for many, many years. But a piece of work that we've been doing, trying to collaborate in the last couple of years, is really to bring together the National Bereavement Midwife Forum, this group of over 250 um, amazing professionals who are absolutely dedicated to their work, but also trying to bring them together with the neonatal, uh, national neonatal uh, nurse link roles, because then we will have another 200 or so neonatal perspectives, because we absolutely have to collaborate. And so Jane brings an aspect that I have no experience of, which is maternity and midwifery. And obviously bringing our two worlds together, I think can be incredibly beneficial because it's absolutely a continuum of care. We can't separate the two services. We have to be moving forward together. Um, And Jane and I often talk about the support for midwives and nurses, and there are so many similarities. And I think we, we, by bringing together both uh, different aspects really gives us strength and the robust information that we need to move forward and make a difference. And then thinking about Anne-Marie, again, Anne-Marie, I've known for a few years, um, giving a different perspective, again, um, from very much a senior aspect. As Director of Nursing of Laura Lynn Children's Hospice, she's the driver from the very top of recognising the importance of investing. And I'm not talking about just a financial investment, but absolutely investing in their workforce. If you're nurturing and looking after your workforce, then surely the support that families and and babies and children receive is going to be so much more robust. Um, So again, it's a whole continuum. And I think it's important that we hear about how um, these, these initiatives have been implemented and the sustainability. So very much from the senior management level. And then thinking about Chloe, uh, Chloe Bateman as a neonatal nurse who's out there providing the care every single day. Chloe and I met when she attended one of my virtual training sessions. And again, I was um, completely blown away by her passion and her what she was able to provide on her neonatal unit for her team, but also having that recognition on the team as the well-being lead. And that felt really important that that was recognized on the neonatal unit, Um, not directly through the trust, even though, of course, there is support from the trust, but very much from the neonatal unit that you needed to have a role like Chloe's. And of course, Chloe has the experience on a day-to-day basis of working within neonatal care. Um, So I thought that was really important as well. Fantastic. No, it, it's a really, it's going to be brilliant for people to be able to hear all of these aspects from all of these angles. So Alex, thank you so much. Now, 
I know we're going to talk further in the final section about the issues with providing support, why this important support doesn't seem to be recognised as essential to providing good care, and why sometimes, even when that support is available, people aren't accessing it. And we'll also then talk about, you know, how we can make positive steps forward to change perceptions and practice to enable greater patient care, as well as improving the well-being of professionals. Is there anything else you'd like to add in introducing this topic before we go to a break? Thank you, Philippa. I think, again, it's, you know, why isn't this topic being recognised Seriously, I think it certainly has gained momentum over time and possibly the spearhead or one of the drivers was during the pandemic when many um, organisations and trusts recognised they had to absolutely look after their staff. Um, So there were lots of strategies put in place, lots of focus on mental health for staff, recognising that this was an acute and crisis situation. But it appears to have tailed off a bit. You know, it's almost like we're not we're not working within a crisis anymore because the the threat of um, the pandemic has lessened a little bit. However, the areas that have recognised that by nurturing and supporting their staff um, have absolutely cemented the feel-good factor, the feeling-valued factor, the feeling-appreciated and acknowledged factor is absolutely vital to the culture of the team. Now, um, again, we, we talk a lot about the culture of the team and the culture of the workplace, but it's absolutely vital in my experience and even more so now in a national role where I have the privilege of meeting lots of different teams from lots of different areas and where a team is very cohesive and works well is when there's this culture of well-being and looking after each other. Um, So for me, I think it has grown over the last few years. Um, It's certainly become a priority, but it's not happening everywhere all of the time. And that's really where we need to be and having that recognition that this is just what happens here on this uh, on this unit or place of work. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm now going to take a quick break, but join me again shortly when I'm going to be talking to Jane Scott, Senior Bereavement Midwife and Coordinator for the National Bereavement Midwife Forum. And she'll be introducing this subject from a maternity perinatal perspective for healthcare professionals and supporting in preterm loss. So welcome back to this special podcast created in partnership with Alex Mancini, National Lead Nurse for Neonatal Palliative Care. Now in this part, I'm going to be talking about supporting healthcare professionals to support parents and families with Jane Scott, Senior Bereavement Midwife and Coordinator for the National Bereavement Midwife Forum. Jane, thank you so much for introducing this subject from a maternity perspective. So firstly, for people listening, 
could you tell us a bit about you, the roles you've done, and what's led you to where you are and your passion for, for highlighting the importance of supporting healthcare professionals within maternity units? Yeah, hi Philippa, thank you. Um, thank you for inviting me on. I've you know, been working with Alex Mancini for, for a long time now and just really enjoy everything we do together. Um, you know, I remember meeting you long ago when you first started off with our Sam and um, it's just great to see where you've got to. Um, I have been a nurse for a really long time, since I qualified in 1987 uh, in this country, then went to the US, did my state boards and nursed in the US in Florida and Texas for about 15 years. Then as an obstetric nurse, actually. So when I came back here, I had to kind of do my midwifery and because they don't really have obstetric nurses here. So I've been a midwife since 2006. So I worked on labour wards at St. Mary's in Paddington, which is part of the Imperial College um, Healthcare Trust, and worked there for about six years and noticed during my time as a labour ward midwife that the care for bereaved families was lacking. Um, there were midwives who tried their very best to give them good care, but they were often coordinating at the same time. They, you know, were off duty. Um, families were complaining because they didn't know where their babies were. They didn't know when the funerals were going to be. And I could just see how things could be a lot better for them. So my role was established after lots of asking and lots of fighting to get, get the role put in place. And in 2012, that happened. And so I was given a blank sheet pretty much to develop a bereavement service across the whole trust. So that includes Queen Charlotte's and Hammersmith and St. Mary's and Paddington. And it also includes the Lindo wing at St. Mary's as well. So I, what I did, I thought, well, how am I gonna do this? And I actually know what I'm supposed to do now. So I reached out to any bereavement midwives that I could find in the UK. And at the time I found about six so there really weren't very many of us, invited them to join me and discuss best practice tips, what they were doing, how they developed their services. Uh, one of the first people I bumped into was Claire Beasley, and she was based in Birmingham. And they already had something pretty good going on there. So she was great and she showed me around and I thought, right, well, we've just got to try and aim at something like this. So as the years went by, we just got more and more members. Now, in 2022, November, we've got 259 members now. So that reaches all across the UK. So we meet face-to-face -face about every four months. And those venues are paid for by an amazing charity who I know you're very familiar with. Bob and Tracy at Fort Lewis. So um, they've been so supportive and they are the reason that we've managed to carry on going really. So I'm so grateful to them and we're just gonna keep on trucking with this and you know, help the support for families and actually intrinsically to help each other do this job. That's 
a big part of the forum. Not yeah. only are we advancing and standardizing maternity bereavement care, we are helping each other stay in these roles. We're understanding each other, whereas it could be said that it's our role is not understood well. It's oftentimes overlooked the amount of responsibility and tasks that we have to undertake. So, um, you know, retention is very difficult in this role because it's very demanding, it's stressful, and you have to have support. You do. And really from then, from then on, we've just grown and got stronger. We've got Jacqueline Dunkley-Bent, the Chief Midwifery Officer, completely on board. Her deputy, Jess Reed, both of them have been amazing. And they, they come to our forums, they back us all the way. And now our work has been reinforced by the latest Ockenden report. It's absolutely incredible having been there and see what you do. It's fantastic. And we're going to talk, come on to talk more about the Bereavement Midwife Forum. Again, just like Alex, your experience and passion are just absolutely incredible, Jane. Now, when we first talked kind of about the title for this podcast episode, a fantastic suggestion from you was to call this meaningful support for healthcare professionals. Can you explain why that was so important for you? I think because it's what, from what I've seen, the support that we receive within this role is patchy to say the very least. Some units have great support and their positions are understood. They have enough bereavement midwives just on a basic level. We need a minimum amount of bereavement midwives to cover the amount of losses that we, that we come across. Sadly, that number hasn't really reduced very much at all, despite the Saving Babies Lives campaign and everything else. You know, of course, we're always grateful for those campaigns, but when it, you know, when the nitty gritty is that the stillbirth rate really hasn't changed much at all. Uh, I've been exceptionally busy this year, uh, which is not good. It's never good when we're busy. So, um, you know, we cover two sites, and right now, there are just two of us. I'm part-time and there's just a, another part-time bereavement. Well, she's full-time now, but that's just a very recent thing. So it's a lot. I mean, we do about 10,000 deliveries a year and, you know, a significant amount of those, unfortunately, are losses above 20 weeks. This is a tertiary care centre so we get lots of intrauterine transfers with sick babies. We get, you know, walk-in people. You know, it's more than people think. And we just deal with losses above 20 weeks. So those families that are losing babies below 20 weeks are seen on gynae wards. And all the staff that care for these families need support, need to be educated. They need to know how to deal with this and then they need to know how to look after themselves as well. So once you've given, you need to know how to recuperate from that. So that's where my, my passion comes in. I care deeply about the families. And at the end of the day, this is what this is all about because we're no good if we're not looking after ourselves, we're no good to the parents. And I know you completely understand, Philippa, I know you truly get this because you had your own experience of inadequate support and, you know, 
good support at times and other times not very much at all I've read you know and talked to you about that so I don't want that to be the case for any other family so lots Um, going on in parliament right now but it's all so slow I mean it is and and this is the thing isn't I think you know that word meaningful is so important isn't it because it this is this should never be a tick box exercise you know parents and families are so reliant on you when they go through something like this because as I I spoke to you know Bob and from from Four Lewis and you know that the problem is that when you go through this loss there is no manual for anybody you know that there is no manual you don't know how to cope so and and the person that you will lean on in the first instance you know it's it's usually either your midwife or um bereavement midwife and it yeah and they have to have support to be able to do that you can't you can't you know I'm speaking to Anne-Marie um Carol from Laura Lynn and you know you can't run on empty it it doesn't work that way so Jane from a maternity perspective what is the honest picture right now in terms of support for healthcare professionals I know you've touched on this but you know they they are such as I've just said a key part of their role is supporting parents and families through pregnancy and baby loss you know what is the picture of support and why is it so important that we talk about this right now I think the picture is you know like I said it it is patchy but some trusts are getting the hang of and you know putting in place support systems that midwives can access most trusts are providing some kind of counseling so I have access to contact which is our staff counseling group it's not for every it's not for everybody that's not how everybody uh, de-stresses you know I try to go to the gym I find exercise helps me a lot leading this bereavement midwife forum and listening to what everybody is saying about the support that they need. You know, we first of all need to have the correct amount of bereavement midwives per a certain amount of deliveries. So with the forum, what I've done is write up the gold standards in maternity bereavement care. And one of those standards, and there are 10 of them, includes for every 3,000 deliveries per trust, we need one full-time bereavement midwife. And that's to also cover annual leave, sickness, maternity leave. And the Ockenden Immediate and Essential Actions require us to cover a seven-day service. So that that covers seven days a week, not nights, but seven days a week. And, you know, remember that hospitals don't close. Families are there 24 hours a day. Babies, unfortunately, die through the night all those kinds of things so we need a bereavement midwife there and lots of trusts are beginning to bring in um, bereavement champions where they're not actually bereavement midwives but they are midwives or healthcare assistants or maternity support workers with an interest in bereavement that's how they're beginning to expand their teams which is great but I do think there needs to be a basic number of very well-trained bereavement midwives who have had advanced training. Um, And at the moment, unfortunately, 
I don't feel that there's adequate training for this kind of level. There are lots of training packages out there in bereavements. They're becoming more and more popular, actually. SANS do some, uh, Child Bereavement UK do some. There are lots of different ones, but none really address the needs of senior bereavement midwives or you know, bereavement midwives who are just starting because we deal with very, very difficult situations clinically as well as emotionally. So the, the deliveries of these babies, and I'm, I can't obviously go into too much detail, can, can be quite complex. And they can be very frightening as well when you first start off because, you know, this is every student midwife's fear that this is going to happen on their, on their shift. And you come into midwifery and this is the, the thing that you dread the very most. And in the normal student midwifery training, there's very little on bereavement, actually. One of my really close colleagues, Lauren Petrie, who was also a bereavement midwife, but has now gone on to do new things. She has written a training package, which does include the intense training that we need. Um, she has introduced herself to several universities and together we taught in at King's College which is our um, allocated university and it went down really well it was well received the student midwives really embraced it and they uh, the feedback we received from that was really very good that needs to be rolled out much much more it needs yeah. to be part of every student midwives syllabus because this is going to happen to every single midwife that's ever trained. It's, it's just inevitable, unfortunately. And the death of a baby and the delivery of a stillborn baby or looking after a palliative care baby on labor ward and you don't have very much training in that. And this is the kind of thing that I'm gonna be working with Alex Mancini on. I've actually just applied for a grant it's an innovation grant from my charity here at Imperial College. And what they do, if they think you've got a great idea, they will fund you to put that project in place. So, of course, this one has already started, but it, it's this funding will allow me to take this forum much, much further. So I find out in December. So if that's the case. Um, I'll be able to lead this forum and come away from so much clinical work and, you know, actually doing the day to day care of families. I'll leave that to someone else. So and the bond that the bereavement midwives have in this forum, all 259 of us is really strong. I, I think maybe you felt that at the last forum you're at Philippa did you very much yeah very much I think I I said this to Bob when we were talking about this you know that that was really inspiring to see all of you there and you know even whether people are joining online or whether they're actually within the room and that strength of feeling is fantastic and having that space that um you know you can not only share best practice but also share new practices, but also having that space where you can offload concerns, you can talk about concerns, you, you can discuss it. It's massively important. So no, it's absolutely fantastic. Part of the all-party parliamentary groups of baby loss, I, I'm able to take the voice of the, all the bereavement midwives in, in that forum 
to Parliament to put it before the MPs. Uh, and I know they, they understand, they understand that this needs to be put in place, that adequate care for families. It's a very powerful voice and hopefully we're going to get this forum accredited at some stage so we've got an even stronger voice. We do work with lots of different charities that embrace all our ethnic groups that, you know, we've got Hana, it's a Jewish charity for Jewish parents. We've got the children of Jana because we've got a large Muslim population, especially around where I work. We work with Petals and we've got them embedded now in our service, which I'm so delighted about because it took a long, arduous journey to get them in because we need them. We needed to have them funded. And it's their service, which is a trauma and bereavement counselling service. They, they consist of an amazing group of counsellors and that's all led by Karen Burgess and you know she she runs Petal she founded it and manages it so each of our families have six counselling sessions it's, they're remote actually so don't even have to leave their own homes and they're seen by extremely experienced trauma and bereavement counsellors because I truly believe that if you can have a lovely bereavement room which is great within the hospital you can have all sorts of memory boxes which were also fantastic but if you don't sort out the psychological part of loss uh, I think you know you really don't have a you're building a house on sand pretty much yeah. so I totally agree when we start our journey certainly with later loss with you that's really important in terms of how we then cope when we step out of there because if if you get good support then you have stand a far better chance of being able to then step out of there and and find how you are going to cope with this new life this new world that you've been thrown into the issue comes once you've left that support and even though you've taken a positive first step without ongoing support it's it's like people who lose somebody maybe at a later stage of life. You often say they're fine up to the funeral because there's everybody around them. It's when that funeral has has been and gone that they're left on their own. And that's when the danger point is, isn't it? It is. It, it really is. It's the loneliest, you know, re- most wretched place to be. And all the triggers around you that just remind you at the, mo- at the most inopportune times that you don't have what everyone else you feel that everyone else has and you know just actually from the money we spend on the counseling it just it actually pays for itself because parents or mothers don't tend to come back for as many appointments because then you know they're not feeling the physical demands so much because you know obviously emotional stresses can present themselves physically as well we don't get so many complaints we we reduce the the amount of complaints from bereaved families from when this role was instituted until now by 90 percent it was because they always had a they always have a contact number they can contact someone that knows where their baby is that knows their case that understands what they've been through that can refer them out to you know, wherever they need to go, if need be. There are so many aspects to what we can offer parents. And of course, we definitely incorporate fathers in this now. That's no longer 
a thing that just doesn't happen. Fathers are extremely important in all of this. And, you know, we work also with Five Times More, which is a Black and ethnic minority group because the incidence of stillbirth and, and loss in, in groups such as that it's very overrepresented. So now we need to capture these parents and make sure that they're getting the, the support. And, you know, it's no good going to, like one of the parents said to me the other day, you know, they, they accessed the counselling, but they didn't feel like they clicked with the counsellor. They didn't feel that, that the counsellor really got them or understood their culture. We need to make sure yeah. our staff represents the patients that we're looking after. There are two sides to this, aren't there? There is that importance of having that bereavement support in the right way to suit every individual. There is then that significant importance of supporting healthcare professionals who have that difficult job of providing that initial support. And and without both sides, you're going to fall, aren't you? You know, you have to have both sides. Jane, the National Bereavement Care Pathway this is a crucial part of this conversation, isn't it, really? You know, could you tell us about about it and its purpose and how maybe this pathway could be used maybe more effectively to improve the picture of support and ultimately bereavement care? Yeah, um, you know, SAM's do an incredible amount of work for bereaved parents and they introduced the National Bereavement Care Pathway as like an evaluation tool so staff can evaluate their bereavement services um, it's extremely helpful you know you can gauge where you are um, we've we scored our units and we did very well in maternity but we didn't do as well in gynae so it's great but I, I have an issue with where we take it after you've got your score you've got your you've done your evaluation Right. So if you do really well, that's fantastic. You just carry on with what you've got. But if you don't do very well, then what? I, d- I don't actually know what you're supposed to do then, because if you don't have enough bereavement midwives, if you don't have the support in place for them, they leave and you're left with a skeleton service, your score is never going to get better. So I believe that the immediate and essential actions that are outlined in Ockenden need to be mandated. They need to have the money that was invested and put aside for that needs to be placed in bereavement where it where it needs to be. It has, you know, so at the moment trusts have, they spend at their discretion as far, you know, they ascertain where they think the money should be spent which is great but I'm not entirely convinced that it's being channeled into bereavement in every trust in the way that it should. Yeah it's difficult isn't it I mean as you say the evaluation process is important but you've got to be able to have that support afterwards and that guidance as to okay where do we go from here and you know a part of that is as you say uh, you know mandating actions from the Ockenden report is it would be fantastic wouldn't they yeah really it, it would really help um but it's it's a challenge isn't it because again it's that inconsistency as you said support is patchy and the problem is if you could get a consistency 
of support and guidance across every trust and every board that is mandated, that is going to solve an awful lot of problems. The, I suppose the issue then comes with, as you said, there's the financial resources and every trust is self-managing. So, you know, it's, it's how you do that. But if you mandate it, then surely that priority then becomes greater, you know, around bereavement. Jane, there seem to be more and more cases coming into the public eye of bereaved parents and, and families who have been failed by poor or lack of support through and following loss. And I hear from many bereaved parents throughout SAM. And whilst there is a lot of positive feedback, you know, a lot of people saying, I couldn't have got through this without my midwife. I couldn't have, have done this. Sadly, we also hear from many families about both historical and very recent experiences that could have been far better and the significant and long-term impact that has on them as as people, which in the cold light of day goes on to create more pressure on the health services. But at the same time, I suppose just sitting in on the incredible National Bereavement Midwife Forum, which you know, we will come on to introduce shortly in, in more detail, but how stress and pressure and lack of support for bereavement midwives is leading them to walk away. When the implementation of these roles, as you said, in hospitals is, is actually the positive step forward for bereaved parents and families. Could you tell us about some of the support systems that are currently in place that should be steering improvement forward? It's just really, which is slightly frustrating, down to the discretion of the head of midwifery or the managers. I really believe that that needs to be taken away because if it's not balanced and standardised, then this this is where these issues arise because you could get a great story from somebody in a trust where a manager or a, a head of midwifery really supports the, the bereavement service in maternity. And then you could also get a story from a family who have come from a trust where that support isn't there to establish the best maternity bereavement service that there could be. And this is where it all falls falls down because all the stories that you hear from the midwives in the forum are, yes, my, my manager is amazing. We have um, the best support. You know, when I'm on annual leave, I'm covered. Everything's done when I come back so I can get on with the cases that um, I need to attend to. Others will say, I've come back. Everything's been left. Nothing's been done. I'm so stressed. So this is where the problems arise. And this is why the standards, the 10 standards in maternity bereavement care are so important. It, these standards come from the heart of the forum. These are midwives, men, and I mean, we've, we do have male midwives in our forum. And we've talked about this, we've shared our experiences. These are very, very experienced bereavement midwives. We know what we need. It's we don't need to be told what we need to be able to offer care to all families in the UK. We need a basic number of bereavement midwives, because otherwise you how can you develop anything? You can't do enough teaching. You can't be there. You can't actually see the parents on the ward because you're off or because you're on annual leave and there's no one there covering you. So those families 
I haven't been seen at all. So it just bounces from 100% to zero. It's, I don't know. I mean, the labor ward midwives are amazing. Don't get me wrong. They are absolutely, but they're extremely busy and they're very short staffed in most places. So there's only a certain amount of time that they do have to spend with parents. And with when there's a loss, there there's so much paperwork. There's lots of legal requirements to attend to. These this isn't just a one visit thing. It takes multiple visits to be able to sort just the practical requirements out. So then they need following up afterwards. Some and in some smaller trusts, the bereavement midwives actually visit people at home because it's very hard for a community midwife to go into someone's home. They've had no extra training. And, you know, whilst you're in the hospital, you have some form of protection. You've got, I don't know, you've got your uniform on, you've got your colleagues around you. In some way, you're protected. When you're walking into someone's home where they've developed a room for the baby and, you know, they haven't felt fetal movements at 39 weeks and they're told that their plans, their future, their, their idea of what their life is going to be is over. You try walking into a home like that, it's extremely difficult. Some community midwives are really inexperienced. They're young. They don't know what to say. They, they need extra training. The bereavement midwives need to be able to offer that training and, and know exactly how to deal with midwives who have been through very traumatic deliveries that where the, there's been a very poor outcome. You know, I mean, what, what do you do with midwives like that who are sobbing and crying? You need to know how to deal with them. It's incredibly hard, isn't it? I mean, there weren't there weren't bereavement midwives when Stan was stillborn 10 years ago. Not not certainly none um, visible to, to us. Um, and I had an amazing community midwife who was a very experienced midwife. But even then, you know, her, her time allowed was simply one visit after we came out of hospital and, and that was it really. And she had no way of signposting to any support services. And I think, you know, it comes down to exactly what you're saying, doesn't it? it it's about resource numbers. If you don't have enough people doing this job in the first place, you are never going to improve it. You're never going to be able to put anything in place because nothing happens without the people to do it. It just doesn't. It just goes without saying that that's what you need because, you know, if you're even if you're running a bakery, if you don't have enough bakers to put the loaves in the oven, nobody's going to get any bread, are they? It's just, you know, it's so fundamental. It's so basic. But... I've been doing this for 10 years and I've been bleating on, literally, I, I bore myself in the end because I'm saying the same thing over and over and over. And it's just, what does it, what is it going to take just to get the basic number of bereavement midwives in? And, you know, I'm so grateful for the Ockenden report. I really am. I would love to cover a seven day service I would love to cover a 24 hour, seven day service. How can I do that with two midwives? How? I, it just doesn't add up. So, and I understand the staff shortages. I really do. And I realize that everybody's short, but I'm fighting my corner now, you know, and I can only focus on this fight. So for me, these parents, people, people like you, Philippa, you know, they shouldn't be 
suffering any more than they've already been made to suffer. It's horrendous. It's the worst thing that can happen in any human's life. It doesn't take a, a huge brain to work that out. It's, it's just the worst thing. And it's acknowledged in Parliament. MPs are in tears. But what is being done about it? You know, Donna Ockenden has invested a huge part of her life in driving this forward. And her report is amazing. And, you know, she's reviewing other trusts now, which which is great. But why why hasn't this changed? You know, why don't we have enough bereavement midwives, properly trained, advanced bereavement midwives to deal with these situations? Because, you know, these these babies and I mean, we deal with bigger, bigger babies over 20 weeks. But this support needs to be there for families that lose their babies under 20 weeks because every loss is life changing. You know, we we have people that couples who come in and they've spent every penny they have on IVF. And, you know, IVF couples are at greater risk of stillbirth and loss anyway. But, you know, that could be their last round. That could be their last embryo. And it they end up losing it at 36 weeks or something. You know, they need proper support. They don't yeah. do well, usually. They don't do as well usually psychologically um because that's the end of the road for some people yeah and it, it it's it is horrific i mean but we we are well, you know, i was that typical person sam was an ivf baby i have one ovary i have polycystic ovarian syndrome i went through three rounds of ivf and a donation treatment and as you said we didn't fit with the nhs you know requirements so um at the end of twenty five thousand pounds worth of debt you um you know i i am you know a typical of of that and it and it is it's absolutely horrific absolutely horrific and so but the thing is that in managing somebody who's going through that last chance in managing and it doesn't matter what stage of pregnancy when when you are that driven to become a parent and you go through this for anybody, whether they are on gynae, whether they're in maternity, whether they are in neonatal, you know, it's absolutely essential that they have that training because managing somebody in that state and in that emotional state, that's not easy for anybody ever. So yeah, I'm right with you on this one. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you do not get training about this in midwifery school. You don't. No. You know, I've been a nurse for a long, long time, then a midwife. I'm, you know, I'm a senior. I'm senior within my role. And even, even now I get shaken. You know, it still affects me. I, I've never got used to it. So, and one of my colleagues left because she was pregnant as a bereavement midwife. She was pregnant. And it affected her so profoundly. Um, it ruined her pregnancy. She'll never, she actually doesn't want any more children now because she's so frightened. She was so frightened. She, you know, she had a great outcome, which is fantastic, but it's, it's scarred her emotionally. And, you know, and I didn't actually really consider what it was doing 
to her having to look after parents bereaved parents whilst she was pregnant and in hindsight she you know I should have suggested or it should have been suggested that she did something different during her pregnancy and this is something that I'm very aware of and that I'm going to be um, talking about much more in the forum because there are younger midwives that are, are starting their families and if that can affect a person as much as it did my colleague who was a very strong person actually extremely good at her job what else is it what's it doing to everybody I mean I know it's changed me as a person I've had successful pregnancies Philippa but it's changed me as a person um you know and I wonder how I will deal with my daughters being pregnant and what what vision will I have of it and what thoughts and everything else but um there's so many aspects to this job so many yeah absolutely Jane thank you so much for your openness in the next part um you know as we've mentioned you people will be hearing from uh Bob McGurl chief executive for Four Lewis uh the charity who are supporting the National Bereavement Midwife Forum, as you, you know, as you talked about. Uh, and he's going to be talking about his reasons for doing this and why it's so important. But, I mean, we've talked about really what the National Bereavement Forum is. What would you say are your basic aims with this? What do you want to achieve with the forum? A couple of the gold standards that we wrote include having... Um, regional leads in bereavement. So yes, we've got the band seven bereavement midwives. Hopefully um, bereavement midwives now should be band seven. That's a minimum. Then we need a band eight bereavement midwife, an 8A overseeing services within the region. So if trusts are, aren't reaching standards, we need a regional bereavement lead to go in and find out what's going on, why, are you not reaching the standards? How can we help you to attain a decent standard of maternity bereavement care? You know, part of this charity role that I've had to apply for because this these roles aren't there right now. So I've had to try and find a different way around it. If this charity grant is successful, that will allow me to lead Northwest London. That should already be in place. You have leads in every other specialty. You have a lead in, um, you know, fetal medicine. You have leads in diabetes. You have leads in many other safeguarding, everything, but not in bereavement. You don't. Some trusts are really up and coming. So there's Manchester. They've got an 8A. Birmingham, they've got an 8A. They're doing really well. But that needs to be across the board. It really does. Because if you've got the National Bereavement Care Pathway, you've got a unit that's not scoring well, then that lead can go in and help them. Because some of these brief midwives are very new. They don't know what's up, what's down. You can go in and, and assist them. So that's another one of our gold standards. Yeah, so that, that's where I'm leading this, to have a bereavement lead in each area, region. And then overall, a national bereavement lead. So there's someone overseeing all services and all regions. Brilliant. 
you know it's it's really fantastic to hear that thank you so much i know we can probably talk about this for hours um but thank you for your introduction jane and we're going to talk further in the final part about how positive improvements can be made and future plans is there anything else you'd like to say at this point before we finish No, just, you know, how much I'm looking forward to working with Alex and you taking this further. And I think this is a great medium to get the word out about bereavements and the the requirements of parents. So it's a great voice. And thank you so much, Philippa, for all your hard work and dedication to this. And I know it hasn't been an easy journey for you at all. And I think you're amazing. Thank you. Oh, Jane, thank you. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I think what you're doing is incredible. And it's just great that we can, you know, I was really keen to have the platform for this. So it, it's something that isn't talked about enough. Uh, we talk a huge amount about, you know, important aspects of bereavement care and, you know, different types of loss. But I think this, you know, without you and without all the bereavement midwives and without the support staff, we can't do any of it so this is really important so thank you well that's it for the first section of this special podcast discussing the importance of support for healthcare professionals to enable them to support bereaved parents and families so thank you to everyone for listening in the next section i am going to be talking to bob mcgurrell chief exec of the fantastic charity for lewis about their initiatives and support to help support healthcare professionals supporting parents and families who have lost a baby or lost a pregnancy. Whether you're a bereaved parent, family member or professional, if you are in need of advice, guidance, help or support, we are here. You aren't on your own. And you can now also access SOS Baby Loss, the UK's first online directory of support organisations and services dedicated to anyone affected by the loss of a pregnancy or baby between conception and 28 days post-birth. To find the SOS Baby Loss directory, just go to the Our Sam website, oursam.org.uk and click on the SOS Baby Loss page or select the big red Find Support button on the website. If you'd like to support the work we do at our SAM, you will find a donation page on our website. All donations go to supporting women, men and families affected by pregnancy and baby loss and the professionals who are supporting them. Mm-hmm.